Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. We are with Charlotte Jackson, who is a therapist, and we're going to get her to introduce herself. We are navigating this charter challenge in Canada. We're talking over the next 10 weeks with lawyers and experts, therapists, physicians, and patients about why Canadians need to be informed about getting legal access to psilocybin, particularly for end-of-life anxiety for cancer patients. This seems to be a, such a no-brainer, but yeah, here we are on the verge of a charter challenge to actually push this needle forward here. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. I'm really excited to have you on as a guest today. You have uh, extensive experience working in this field in altered states, and I know uh, you've got training in MAPS and MDMA and all sorts of things, but why don't you first just introduce yourself, Charlotte. What is it that you do and how did you get involved in psychedelics? Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, my background is I'm a registered clinical counselor here in Vancouver and British Columbia. I've been working in this field for 20 years, which is the field being specifically mental health and substance use. Um, and I guess uh, I had, um, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I guess I'm just going to be transparent since now is the time to be truth telling and not being cagey about our own experiences. I had the opportunity to have my own MDMA assisted therapy a number of years ago, and it, it really, um, it changed my life. And I think that when you have these kinds of experiences, uh, I think it's natural that you want to share them uh, mm -hmm. because you want other people to have that level of support and healing and access to what's possible. And so that led me to seek out um, MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And I signed up to, to try and be one of their phase three clinical research therapists. And I was very fortunate to be chosen in that first cohort. So I was trained in Colorado and um, in New York and was part of the phase three clinical trials. And have done that work, completed that work, but now I'm in training to be a supervisor for MAPS for the clinical trials in Europe. So, and then also just been super fortunate to get connected to Theracil through my mentor, Dr. Ingrid Pacey, who is a local psychiatrist who's been working in expanded states for decades. Um, and so now I'm a trainer for Theracil as well. So supporting other people, therapists, doctors, um, uh, individuals who want to be able to provide psilocybin assisted therapy to people in need. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. You know, and I really, I want to come back to a comment you made right in the beginning, which was just so, it just hit me in my heart, which is we don't have time to play cagey games and to yeah. kind of say, oh, I'm kind of interested in the research. And I read, you're just saying, listen, I had an experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, I knew, I know at the time it was underground and it changed my life and people need access to these, these tools. Therapists and physicians need access to these tools as soon as we can. We, we do not have the luxury, Charlotte, of five to 10 years of dealing with mental health in Canada. We don't have the luxury. We just came out of a global pandemic. Everyone's anxiety is up. People have been isolated. They haven't been co-regulating in normal groups. They no longer can, you know, they have, you know, all their clubs and events and things that have helped are gone and we're starting to rebuild, but we do not have this luxury, Charlotte. And so I'm really thankful for your courage in coming, to, coming out and saying, listen, I got to come out and be honest. I've had experiences. 
and I'm now a trainer and we need this tool accessible to us. So thank you so much, Charlotte, for kind of risking and being out there and saying, yep, this is my story and I need people to hear it. So I just want to honor your courage as thank we start you. off this conversation. Thank you. And I just want to shout out Dr. Carl Hart, who has done this on such a huge level in, you know, being a being a professor and uh, African-American man who has already paved this way. So I'm, I'm in his wake in, in just starting to speak my own experience because I think precisely we need to. There's uh, no time to waste. waste I, I just, I love that heart. And I, I'm already just feeling this draw to you because I just like, you are, a, you are a maverick out there saying, we just don't, we can't play safe anymore in the sense of like, oh, well, Health Canada will figure it out on their own, won't they? They mm -hmm. won't. They mm -hmm. need pressure. They are just a governing body that's trying to protect themselves the best they can. And they just came out of a pandemic where yeah. all their resources went to COVID. Well, right. it's about time that we start saying we need resources put to mental health. And this is as a clinical therapist. And I want you to get really clear on this, Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything like this in your 20 years of therapy as a tool to actually move the needle for, for pain, suffering, anxiety? Have you seen anything like it in your career? Not in my personal, no, not in the direct work that I've done. And I don't want to discount other technologies, indigenous technologies, shamanism, you know, all the different ways that different cultures have, have used expanded states. But in my personal clinical professional life, no. Psychedelics and empathogens are, are, are kind of a game changer. And I don't want to get too much in the gas about it and say they're a panacea because they're not for everybody and they're not effective for everybody. But the people that I have seen in my own personal experience, yes, it's, it's, I haven't seen anything like this. Well, yeah. So let's dive into this end of life anxiety. Uh, I had uh, Lori Brooks on that podcast who we just did a documentary about her. She's had, and an, she's had cancer and was able to get a section 56 exemption uh, and go through a trip experience. And we heard her story and what she, you know, and what she said on the podcast, which was absolutely stunning, which was, I went into this experience, waking up, you know, on a daily basis, aware of my cancer, like, like it was an inch away, dominating every moment of my life, thinking, will I be able to see my kids get married? I've mm -hmm. been given six months. And she said, every day, I was just struggling with that. Mm -hmm. After the six hour experience with a, again, not just on her own, there was okay. lots of prep, this is, you know, this is a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. It's very important that we talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's this molecule is unique in that it works with our intentions. It works with the psychotherapy that, that we put into it. And she said after that experience, it was absolutely radically changed her life. Mm -hmm. She lives with uh, a, a sense of joy, a sense of even that she even would say, cancer was a gift. And I'd say, what are you talking about? She said, it allowed me to look at my life for the first time in my 52 years and mm -hmm. change my relationship with my husband, change my relationship with my children, change my relationship with myself. Yeah. Wow. You know, so how do you make sense of that after six hours? That usually takes 10 years of talk therapy. And even then it doesn't seem to work. Yeah, that's, that's no guarantee. <laughs> that's what right. Talk therapy. Yeah. I mean, talk therapy, we know has its, has its place and its application, but I think we're really talking about bottom up somatic kind of taking the brakes off the, the conceptual mind. Uh, I mean, I think that the research is pretty clear coming out of Johns Hopkins, NYU, other, you know, Imperial College of London, 
that people, uh, when they take these classic psychedelics can have what's called a mystical experience. And there's a mystical experience questionnaire and you can actually go through it to see, did you hit these markers? And there is a positive correlation with a mystical experience and having these kinds of significant shifts in your outlook of life, your relationship to the world, your relationship to yourself. Um, you know, people are saying that these are among the most five, amongst the five most meaningful experiences in their lives, you know, next to the birth of a child. So yeah, how do we, I mean, we, we can't necessarily grasp all this with the conceptual mind because these are non-conceptual experiences. But I mean, I think I'm trying to point at that even in that limited period of linear time, you can go into these expanded states of really like deep time and wisdom and knowledge and come back with some pretty life-changing insights and experiences. Yeah. You know, I, you mentioned two things that I really want to grab a hold of because they're just beautiful. One, you mentioned the fact that uh, we are not claiming that this is the first time in human history that we've discovered something. These mm -hmm. are ancient medicines that have been done in with cultures for thousands and thousands of years. The Mazatec Indians, uh, these people have curated and used these in healing traditions. And we have uh, shamanic traditions across the planet that have used altered state work, not just with psilocybin, but with music and drumming. There's lots of research on how expanded and altered states have been used in community to to help people heal with fear and anxiety. So we're, we're the new ones to the table in the West. We're just beginning to realize that, you know, our mind-body connection is far more connected than we ever thought. And these, these substances are bringing us into that. And, and we're having, you know, we're having to make sense of things with our data that we just can't make sense of, you know? How do you make sense that someone met their, you know, grandmother on a trip and that grandmother walked them through the narrative of their life for mm -hmm. six hours and now they feel a sense of peace and harmony. How do you explain that? You yeah. just can't. No, it well, yeah, not on the cognitive rational right. level that yeah. we operate yeah. in this in this paradigm, this current paradigm, the current sort of social context that we Westerners live in, it, it's not explicable. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to expand our understanding of the human experience in order to be able to even approach grokking what all this is. Mm -hmm. And I think more and more people are, and I think we, we have to, if we're gonna survive as a species, not to get too grand about it, but I think, uh, I think it's essential, but yeah, this isn't, um, I mean, and that being said, like I don't wanna be too grandiose and say that we also can explain it in to a certain degree. And that's what science has been trying to do yeah. with brain imaging and, mm -hmm. There are yeah. ways to explain it, even if we can't fully get at it. Right. And I think that's a good way to, this isn't just like, well, we don't get it. It's like, no, no, no. We can map the brain. We can see what happens mm -hmm. with the amygdala. Our fear center goes down the mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex, where we try to make all this meaning the default mode network, as Robin mm -hmm. Cartwright Harris talks about, you know, yeah. that, that the blood flow is moving away from this, the busy hamster wheel in our brain. And we get this, you know, an understanding of our story and of ourselves that's yeah. very different than our waking life right and so we all have expanded and altered states we all go to sleep you yeah. know I, I always I say to someone well no, I don't like psychedelics I don't like being out of control it's like every night you're out of control you lay down and your brain goes into into a different uh state than a waking state and you're okay with it right, right. so 
we are, this is natural and this is pretty normal, but yes, it's, it's new for us in the West. Uh, Charlotte, tell us a little bit about some of the, the stories or experiences that you've been able to have up close and personal with patients where you've seen shifts happen because, mm -hmm. because uh, through, through this kind of therapeutic model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I've been very humbled and honored to be part of people's healing um, journeys. And I guess, I mean, thinking, I mean, I've worked with a number of different individuals who are up against certain, you know, uh, conditions. One is with like chronic substance use, uh, problematic substance use. So I have seen people with chronic relapsing substance use conditions, and I've sat with people and I hope we get to hear their voices too, because I'm just reporting from the sidelines. They're the ones who have been doing the work, but people who have stabilized in their recovery and no longer report cravings or urges that are no longer relapsing, that are moving on with their lives. So that's one thing. There's other people who have incredible anxiety that haven't been able to tolerate a therapeutic traditional talk therapy session because their anxiety is so overwhelming that they just can't sit for that length of time. So I've seen people using sort of a different method rather than just the high dose. I've seen people using microdoses that's of mushrooms that have allowed them to tolerate sitting through a session where we can actually start talking about the difficult material um, that can then help them move forward. So, I mean, there's just so much here potentially for so many people and I guess I want to stress that we need to have context, safe and competent context to support people. So it's it's the medicine, but it's also this, you know, you know, traditional, not traditional, but from the 60s and 70s, the set and setting, this idea of set and setting and that that matters and who's with you and how the experience is understood uh, does dictate how what kind of outcome you can get. Yeah, I remember, <clears throat> I think it was... Um... I forget who it was. I mean, all these different books. It, it might have been um, Michael Paul and How to Change Your Mind, where he, he brings up this really fascinating. He's trying to explain the, the how this molecule works with intention. It's unlike you know, just like a it's a, you know, you just give someone a pill and say, okay, I'll see you in a month and let me know how that went. Right? It's yeah. it doesn't work that way. These molecules are very different. And he said this. He says it's so fascinating that we're using this substance for smoking cessation, right? We, we're getting the best we can get with the patch and, and, and these other kind of things, maybe 6% efficacy rates on other treatments. And yet we're with, uh, with if people have intention with a trip and they want to quit smoking and they do this one-time therapy, we're they're getting in the eighties of people that are quitting smoking. And he said, how is that possible? Because mm -hmm. in the sixties, everyone who did LSD and, and psilocybin were smokers and no one quit. Right. Because this time it's what our intentions around this yeah. seems to have to, to do with its healing capacity. Yeah. Can you explore that with me, Charlotte? That's yeah. fascinating. Well, I mean, it, it seems to be, it seems to be pointing to a collaboration. And I think, um, I mean, there's so much to say about that, but I mean, I think it's a collaboration. We can talk about the mushroom being an intelligent species. I mean, I think we know that having anybody who's really explored mushrooms and the whole mycelial network mm -hmm. and how they're undergirding the whole planet uh, can, can identify that these are intelligent species. This is an intelligent species. And I, yeah, I think that why we use these, these, I mean, I'm not against recreational use of drugs. Um, 
And this is not what we're talking about. This is not a recreational context. This is a therapeutic context. And, and often it's, it's heavy lifting, it's work. We're going into the difficult places. We're, we're dressing and facing trauma and unspeakable things that have happened to us. And so, you know, this is, the context is different. So the intention, if we're saying, yeah, I wanna quit smoking or I wanna address these things, or I wanna learn what, what I need to learn to move forward in a healthy way, that is a different context. So is it the mushroom? Is it us? I think it's a collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. There is this, uh, you know, <clears throat> we both bring, you know, we, we both, when we say it's this, this intelligence inside of me, my inner healing intelligence, my intentions, the therapeutic set and setting that I have with my physician, my therapist, my guide, and then there's the mushroom, right? And then there's this uh, molecule that seems to have this incredible innate uh, intelligence that it can open up our heart to be able to navigate some of these big things. And it wants to, like it has this, it's like gravity. It's trying to direct us toward uh, a healing path, right? It's not trying to, you know, screw up your life or give you a bad trip, right? It's everything that's coming up is from inside of you and you get to help navigate and explore that. So I I do think I really like your word collaboration, Charlotte, That, that, that really connects with me. I'm thinking about the, you know, this charter challenge, obviously the front edge of the wedge is for our end of life cancer patients, which is, seems like the lowest hanging fruit. Come on. We have said as Canadians, we have, we have said, if you are navigating these kinds of treacherous waters at the end of your life, that you have access to medical assistance in dying. We've said that, which is, you know, as a Canadian society, we've been progressive. We said that the government should not be the one caretaking how you are going to die or not die. Mm -hmm. So how, how -hmm. can we have that? And yet we can't, someone can't legally access psilocybin Mm -hmm. mushrooms in a therapeutic context with a physician and a therapist. Mm -hmm. To me, that seems ludicrous. Does it not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in a short answer, yes, it's ludicrous. And I mean, the reality is that these governmental agencies, they're, 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 they're very slow moving. Mm. And that's why, you know, we don't really have time to waste. We, we're on a precipice in human history. We're in the midst of climate collapse and empire collapse. And yeah, I, and I guess that's why organizations like Theracell are, are, you know, creating this charter challenge because Time is of the essence. There, it doesn't make sense. It's not a rational. It's it's more systemic. It's more bureaucratic. It's more. It's just about old dying systems. And yeah, I I can't really answer it beyond that in yeah. terms of making sense of it. When you think of you know the 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 uses for this, uh, you know. You, Obviously, this one we're navigating right now is end of life anxiety for cancer mm-hmm. patients. But that, I mean, that's just the front edge of the wedge. That's to get us in the door and to realize that it's, you know, in, in one sense, it's sad, but it's like the government could say, well, I guess these people are going to die anyway. So, I mean, what, you know, wh- why should we prevent them from, because if it's really a crazy substance, well, they might, you know, they're going to die anyways, right? That's kind of could be their argument. Yeah. Now, 
we know <clears throat> from the research from from other, from many big people this is a safe molecule no one's dying of an overdose you, you can't overdose on psilocybin you know it's the lowest or toxicology report alcohol and tobacco and many many you know all the all the drugs that we prescribe are way more addictive and there's no addiction in this so no. what do you think is it just a holdover from the war on drugs this 1970s uh you know anger and hate for people that don't want to go to war and we're going to just make make these substances look like what do you think this war where did this come from this yeah. this hatred and anger toward psilocybin yeah well i think it gets rolled into the stigma of, against drugs period and the criminalization of people who use drugs i mean i don't want to get too dark here but i mean if you look at substance use over you know, the last hundred years and how we've criminalized certain substances based on uh, different social cultural groups, it's, it's, it's political. So um, yeah, I think that, the, and, and because psilocybin and LSD in particular came of age in the time of, of, you know, the Vietnam War, it was not convenient to have people kind of opening up their minds and seeing things from a different perspective and refusing to go to war and refusing to participate in the dominant culture. So, I mean, there's a whole political component to it. And, you know, to quote uh, Artie Lang, who's the Scottish, uh, radical Scottish psychiatrist, that I think we suffer from psychophobia. I think we suffer from fear of our own minds. And I think when we go into these big, deep, altered states, we confront ourselves uh, in a way that can be really frightening. And I mean, I think, I think we have to be careful with language. I don't know that I would subscribe to bad trips, but I would subscribe to the concept of difficult trips. Yes. And yes. if you have- Challenging. Challenging, but, yeah. but if you have the right support and container and context for that, I have never spoken to a person who's had a challenging experience who then later regrets it once they've had a chance to integrate it and make sense of it and kind of um, digest it. So I, I think there's so many angles, but I think we're phobic of our own minds. Mm. I've never, I've never heard that framework, and that's really helpful because often when I get into conversations with people, I'm a, I'm an outspoken advocate for this work, obviously. And when I'm, when I'm talking to people, they're like, Oh, that's, that's too scary. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, Hey, what's scary. And they're like, well, I don't want to look inside. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and that actually just makes me, I have deep compassion for people like that because what's happening yeah. is you, what they're saying to me is <clears throat> Peg, you have no idea the kind of trauma that this body has encountered. And yeah. I, I'm just doing everything I can to keep the lock, lock it down in this box because my culture, my family, I've never been able to have permission to navigate this. And I fear that if I open this thing up, it'll get really, really messy. And so yeah. I, I just got to lock it down because I got to keep working. I got my job. I got my family. I've got bills to pay and I don't have time and the luxury to navigate this. And I'm saying to them, oh, that's so sad that the deepest, what it means to be human is to know yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Socrates says, know thyself. And yeah. most people are like, I don't want to know about myself because it's so messy down there. Well, and, and frightening. And I think D.W. Winnicott, who is, a, you know, a, a, a theorist, a philosopher and a psychologist, he says, tell me what you fear 
and I'll tell you what's already happened to you. Wow. So I think we're we're afraid, and and it's a very and D. W. Winnicott also said that we um, that we're afraid of losing our minds. So that is a very real fear because it's already happened to us in some way in our experience. So these are real these are real concerns, and that's why they need to be mitigated with a lot of preparation and a lot of education and a lot of support and understanding and assessment, like what's happened to you so that we going into this experience can understand what might come up for you so we can support you in the best way. Mm. So yeah, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I think yeah. that, and just to be clear that people are really suffering and some people have suffered so much and for so long that they're like, I'm willing, mm. you know, let me, because even if it takes a lot of courage and I encounter some difficult material, it has to be better than living like this. Oh man. And you, you, I mean, you, you see that every day in your work, you're seeing these people who are trapped, you know, they're trapped in the prison of, of their own mind of their, and they don't know how to get out and they've tried everything. I mean, I, particularly people that, you know, you work with substance abuse. That's, that's the front edge of pain. My goodness. I remember Gabor Matei would say, you know, don't, don't tell me about, you know, why the addiction, tell me about why the pain right? I'll tell you addiction is just your is the body's way of trying to manage the deep pain. I'm just trying to feel and stay alive, right? So I don't have any, you know, uh, all I've got is when I, I think about you and working with people with addiction is just compassion. And if we could have a tool to help people to come to terms with how beautiful and amazing they are, and how much they can learn to love themselves, and they can undo that. Wow, wouldn't that be it's sitting right here. And you're just like, I want to give this to the world. I want to help people find their beautiful essence of who they are, so they can find healing and connection again. Yeah, yeah. And just to be clear about not us and theming it, the situation, it's, it's all of us. Oh, it, yeah. You know, I think that I, I certainly have addictions to all sorts of things, sugar and screens and caffeine and like, yeah, and I don't want to then minimize what other people are right. struggling with. But yeah, we're all in it together. Like this uh, is yeah. for sure uh, something that can help all of us. What gives you hope as you start thinking about where this is heading in Canada? You are uh, one of the, you know, one of the leaders right now being MAPS trained and now with Theracil and, uh, and a guide and you're, you're helping train other facilitators, therapists and, and physicians. What, what gives you hope here as you look out over the next year? Well, I guess just having more opportunity to meet and connect with more people. I think every time we do a training or every time we work with somebody, we're just building the mycelial network. We're just building capacity as, as like building community. And I think being in Vancouver, I just want to acknowledge that this is a very progressive, I mean, we have a long way to go, but when I speak to colleagues in North Carolina or even in California, the way that we have access to things, the, the way we can order you know, mushrooms online and how there's dispensaries popping up in Vancouver and the police are not shutting them down. I mean, we're living in a moment where it's still criminalized and it's still illegal, but we have way more access here than many, many, most places in the world. So I feel like we have a big opportunity to do this right mm -hmm. and to model this to other jurisdictions and other countries. And so 
I just want us to be really in right relationship with the medicine and with each other so that we, we, can, we can do this in an ethical and responsible way. That's really beautiful, Charlotte. And I, I think that what you've done there is you've taken it as not just, oh, hey, isn't it neat that I, we get to have access to this uh, out in, in Vancouver in a progressive place, but you're, you're actually seeing it as almost like I now have an obligation. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm lucky. You know, I'm not trapped in a country where I'm going to be, you know, I'll be put in jail. If you're on this podcast, right, in Canada, no one's coming to your door and and putting you in jail in this. But you might be in another country and you're admitting that you've had these experiences and that you take people. You could be fearing you want your face blurred out. You don't want your, you know, so you're you're saying, hey, I think I actually have an obligation here to Mm -hmm. create models that we can replicate, not just across Canada, but possibly around the world. And mm-hmm. so uh, you, uh, thank you. What a, what a gift as a, as a leader you are, Charlotte, to be able to see it in that way and do that. Uh, I want to ask one more thing because it's stirring in me and I got to, you know, I got to do this. I'm, a, I'm an ex-pastor. So I, I used mm-hmm. to be, used to be, I say that lightly, I used to be an ordained minister mm-hmm. and um, got myself in some hot water as I was defending the rights of gay and lesbians to be the full members of a church. And they the church I was in at the time 20 years ago didn't think that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, however, my heart is, I love, spirituality is such a big part of who mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you mentioned early on that these, you talked about the mystical experience questionnaire, that, mm-hmm. that what we're finding and discovering is that these, these altered state experiences allow people to kind of open up to this we'll call it a connective experience that Mm -hmm. they realize that they're not alone, Mm -hmm. that they're, that even if they are physically alone, maybe they're not in a a relationship that they are connected to their ancestors, to others, to nature, to trees, you know, that mycelium itself gives you this feeling of being connected, that you're not alone, that you're, you're loved even, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is what we're talking about, the mystical experience, right? Can you comment on that? Because I just, I find that thread fascinating and I want to tease it out a little bit with you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a beautiful quote. I think it's a woman who went through the Johns Hopkins trial um, with Roland Griffith and, and crew that, that, or no, it was NYU with Tony Bosis Mm. where she, she went in and said, you know, she was an atheist, but the, the closest way she can describe it is like experiencing like love, like universal love, like God. And she said, and she's still an atheist, but that was, there's no other language for describing some of the profound mystical interconnected unitive experiences other than in religious and spiritual terms so you don't have to be religious or spiritual to benefit from this but people do come back you know with some pretty shifted concepts and experiences of of what we're what we're swimming in here what we're embedded in um so yeah i don't know what to say more than that except well and and that spiritual communities have been using this like they do the the Santo Daime churches with ayahuasca and, um, you know, the Good Friday experiment that happened. Mm, yeah, Marshall Chapel. Yeah, that's right. That's and, right. Like, you yeah. know, they gave these medicines to clergy and people from different religious denominations to see if they could induce mystical experiences. And then that was recreated by Rick Doblin, you know, 40 years later. So, yeah, there's a huge overlap. I, yeah, I don't know uh, how else to kind of put a pin on that. But um, yeah, I think it's yeah. not, 
I don't think it's disconnected. You know, I think there's, there's researchers and pharmaceutical people who are trying to create, replicate these molecules, but without having these expanded psychedelic experiences uh, to see if they work. But I, I think that the psychedelic transpersonal experience is actually part of the, of the, of the curative uh, healing work. So I'll be interested to watch that research to see if people get the same results without. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, one of the ails, uh, ailments of our culture, I read this book called uh, Lost Connections uh, by, what's uh, um, it, Johan Hari is his name. Yes. Um, and it was a powerful book just about his, you know, about our addiction to, uh, to, to antidepressants, right, SSRIs. And uh, he really traces the rise in, in depression, anxiety, uh, suicidality. And he mm -hmm. traces that uh, as we moved away from community, connection, mm -hmm. spirituality into these isolated, lone individual lives uh, mm -hmm. that we spend online and we try to have connection, but we really kind of are very alone. I mean, yeah. this book came out before COVID, but I can only imagine. I mean, you take what he was arguing in that book for why we have millions of people dependent mm -hmm. upon SSRIs that are not really helping people find mm -hmm. their inner connection. And yeah. he talks about loneliness, an epidemic of loneliness. Well, I think this molecule is coming online right now with us in the West because it's really asking, our, asking this big question. You cannot heal alone. You yeah. need you need to be in connection. You That's need right. to be in community. You, and, and just a therapist alone isn't going to be your help either. I mean, yes, right. it, can, it might be a little step, but yeah. I think what the, yeah. the, the good looks like is healing communities where yeah. these molecules are, are placed inside of communities and we can use them in our spiritual communities to create safe healing places for people to land and feel connected. So I, I'm excited about where this, yeah. is, this is heading. Me too. And I just want a little caveat that uh, I don't want to be too ableist and, and slam SSRIs because for a lot of people, it's kept them alive. A lot of psychiatric medications have kept people alive. And because we haven't had access to these new technologies or new ancient technologies, but I think we're in a constant evolution as humans. And maybe we had to have that level of, we've had to have that time with these SSRIs and these antidepressants and these antipsychotics to keep us glued together long enough till we can get to the mm. cultural place where we can now start accessing these new medicines. So yes, it as those medications don't take you where you need to go. They kind of hold you in place, but you know, there's a mercy in being able to be held in place for a lot of people until they can access the next, the next thing. What a beautiful line. There's a mercy in that. Oh, I love how you put words together, Charlotte. That, that really landed for me there. That's beautiful. Uh, any other thoughts here as you, you know, lend your voice to this, uh, to this argument in, uh, for Canadians, you know, if, if you were just trying to say, why should Canadians be informed and, and understand and trying to destigmatize this. What mm -hmm. what would be kind of your your parting words here, Charlotte? Mm -hmm. Gosh, uh, I I guess I guess we are at a precipice in humanity. We look at the world. I mean, Roe v, v Wade being struck down. I mean, just the political like what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, we are in a crisis, and I think that the old stigmas around substances and um, and criminalizing of substance use. And I mean, I just think we have to evolve past that. We need it where it's, it's not a luxury, it's actually a necessity. Um, and I think that we, we need to, 
And I don't want to hasten things. I don't want to go fast. I think to go, we, to go fast, we need to go slow. We need to be careful. We need to do our due diligence. But I think time is of the essence and we need to look at, you know, anyone who hasn't looked at this work or these substances with fresh eyes, I would just invite them to, to look, look at the science, look at what the experts are saying, because I think we, we need it now. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. And I really like that you, that final comment, which is, you know, a cautionary slow approach, right? Mm -hmm. This is not how do we get this and just give it to anyone at any time. Mm -hmm. You are talking about a, a therapeutic relationship that's built between a patient, a therapist and a physician, and be able to use that in, in the right context. Uh, in, in a, you know, a, in a titrated way so that you don't overwhelm because these can be very overwhelming experiences. So it needs to be done with a right set and setting. Uh, I totally understand that. And I, I think you're also, a, you know, you, you said earlier too, is that um, this isn't the only use of psychedelics, right? Mm -hmm. Psychedelics isn't just for trauma healing and everyone else has to just kind of go, oh, I wish I had trauma so I could have that experience, right? <laughs> I think what good looks like is that these are part of the tool belt that yeah. all of us as sentient adults have access to for healing, creativity, connection, joy, fun, yeah. all of that, you know? Some of my best experiences have been surfing in Tofino on a, on a gram of LSD. I mean, uh, on, a, on a tab of LSD and feeling the waves and power and beauty of the universe, right? So that's just as legitimate as someone Agreed. saying, I healed from my end of life anxiety. And I, and I, so I, I just want to keep that in balance is that, Beautiful. you know, we're not just here to say, oh, we only want this. This is what we need to get access to. Uh, mm -hmm. Charter Challenge is about end-of-life anxiety access for, for, for to pay cancer patients, but that's just the front edge of the wedge, how we'll yeah. discover uh, how beautiful these substances are for the healing of, of all of us. Well, amen to that. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm right behind you. I, I think that we need to be able to access these medicines as, as consenting adults in any which context that makes sense for us. So Absolutely. I love the whole medicalization and legalization route because that is the thin edge of the wedge. That is what opens the door. Um, but I think that psilocybin, LSD, these are not addictive drugs. These are mind expanding. They're non-specific amplifiers. They help us see what's already there. Uh, and I think we need to open our eyes to where we're at in this moment. Oh, oh, thank you so much, Charlotte. Your insight and the care in which you bring to this uh, this work I, is so evident. I can just feel it in the tone, how loving and kind and uh, compassionate you are. So thank you so much for uh, lending your voice to this conversation. And I really hope that, uh, you know, six months from now, you and I can jump back on a call and we can say, look at that, we did it. The charter has been challenged and they're opening up access. And because I really want uh, you to be able to get access for your patients. There are thousands of people uh, that are needing this, uh, this, this, this treatment. And I really hope that uh, we can see that needle move in Canada in the next year. Oh, good. Well, I look forward to that conversation in six months and I'm, I'm here manifesting it with you. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on Unveiled Podcast. It's been Charlotte Jackson, uh, uh, a therapist out of Vancouver, talking about expanded states, uh, psilocybin, and getting legal access to psilocybin with a charter challenge that Theracil is about to uh, launch this July. You can learn more about it at theracil.ca. But thanks again, Charlotte, and have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.